Um, how many of you guys have a favorite verse, a favorite Bible verse? Yeah, come on, raise them high. Yeah, like I'm not going to make you stand in and recite it, right? But you guys know what the Bible is, right? So well, I'm just making sure, right? Bible, when I had my favorite Bible verse at the age of 19, all right? Now, it's going to be on the screens, but I'm going to quote it for you the way that I memorized it. Are you ready? Here is Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. That's how I memorized that scripture as a 19-year-old. My sophomore year of college, this verse kind of grabbed my attention. It became my favorite verse. Do you want to guess what part of that scripture grabbed my heart and my mind? All these things, baby. Like as a 19-year-old, Jeremy, you're right. I wanted all these things. You mean, Jesus, you're going to add all those things to me. And I was slow to the party on that first part of seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. I just really liked the fact that God was going to give me everything I wanted. And at the time, it really was about pretty girls. Like, God, can you just, you know, as a 19-year-old, like, will you let me date somebody that's prettier than me, which is really easy for me to accomplish at the time. And he answered that, by the way. I held on to her. So that was my, been my favorite verse since I was 19. Six years ago, I had the opportunity to start my graduate work at a school called Wheaton College in Illinois. And um, one of the classes that actually my first class, professor, my professor Rick Richardson gave an entire session of the class to this very scripture within the context of God's kingdom. And what I learned that week was I didn't have any idea what my favorite verse was about. I had quoted this verse from the age of 19 to whatever age I was at the time six years ago, I guess 34-ish, 33-ish, and Rick just completely blows my mind on what this verse actually means. So now I'm smarter. Who would like to be smarter? Well, you're in the wrong place. I'm kidding. Um, no, but I got smart on this. All of a sudden, I had this intellectual understanding of a verse that I could memorize and that I knew by heart, but I didn't know what it meant until I went to school. And I came back from school, it was the summer of 2012, with this, I mean, I was fired up on this understanding of kingdom in Matthew 6, 33. But there's something better than having intellectual understanding of things. Because some of you are really book smart, like you're, you're close to being a nerd, right? Some of, come on, some of you guys are nerds, right? Like you just, you have a ton of knowledge in your head, like you read stuff, you get it, you memorize it. But when I got back from school with this new uh, understanding of the scripture, God did something that was even better than intellectual. He let me experience this verse. And when he let me experience Matthew 6.33, it changed my life. And it honestly changed uh, some of the focus of this church that you guys now come and worship. And maybe for many of you, for most of you, started to call your home church your place of worship. Here's what happened to me. It was in the fall of 2012. I was going home for the day, get, leave the office area jump in my trailblazer that I had at the time. I back out of my parking spot. I turn my car right out here facing 75th Street, and I'm about to leave. And as I put my truck in from reverse to drive, I look at my passenger window, and something catches my eye. There's this huge old Lincoln town car. Like Remember those like banana boat cars for, the, for you? Those, my grandmother had one of these. It was a, it's like a tank. It's massive, right? Like, you, like it's, it's a long, heavy car. I'm not talking about like the new, cool, sleek ones that Matthew McConaughey drives. I'm talking about old-school Lincoln. But that wasn't necessarily what caught my eye. What caught my eye was the gentleman standing next to it. And so in the passenger, right beside the passenger door, was a guy standing there. His back was to me. He was wearing khaki pants. But what I noticed was he had gone to the bathroom in his pants. And it was clear. Like, the back side of his pants was just dirty. And this is what I said to myself as I'm pulling out of this church parking lot. 
I said, wow, God, you make all kinds. It's not very pastoral, is it? Wasn't my best day. It's just, I remember it. It's exactly what I said. I look at his honey. It's all messy. Shake my head. And I go, wow, God, you make all kinds. And I put my car in drive and I'm taking off. I make a ride on 75th Street. I'm about in front of Shawano. And it, I realize that I left my backpack and my computer back at the office. So I take a ride there beside Shawano, back street, drive back in front of Big Lots now. And I'm coming right back to where I was, right? Deja vu. Same parking spot. Run inside. Get my backpack. Get back in the truck, backing out, whole process all over, but now something's different. Guy's still standing there, still got the same messy pants, but this time the passenger door's open. And not only is the passenger door open, but I see that there's a gentleman sitting in the passenger door, uh, and he has got his foot now propped up uh, with the window rolled down, like, like letting it kind of be in an incline, letting it rest, and his friend with the messy pants is standing there next to him. And what I notice about this guy with his foot up in the window is that it's bandaged. And it's not like this clean bandaged. It's like, it's like, I don't know if it's blood or mud, but it's dirty and it's gross. And I rolled down my window. So I backed out again and I'm about to leave and I just stop. I put my car in park and I roll my window down. And, um, and so sometimes in a story, you, you, maybe you're slow to tell it because um, I'm not coming across as like, I'm just going to be honest with what happened. You can judge me however you want. I rolled my window down and I yelled at my window. Is your friend Okay. And the guy with the mess in his pants looked at me. And I said, is your friend okay? And at this, he begins to walk to my trailblazer. And the guy who's in the car with a hurt foot, he, gets, he swings his leg out of the window. And he hobbles to my truck as well. And so now I have these two guys. I don't know who they are at all. And they're standing at my window. And so now I talk to the guy with a hurt foot. And I'm like, are you okay? And he said, man, I hurt my foot this week. Um, I'm having a hard time getting it healed. And, you know, my, it hurts, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, short conversation, right? My mind immediately went to this. I said, do you have, uh, do you have, um, do you need shoes? Do you, have, do you have shoes? And he looked at me and he goes, I said, okay. I said, do you need some shoes? And he looks at me and he goes, and so in that moment, I did the only thing I knew to do. I reached down and I had my new Nikes on. I didn't wear my old shoes that day, unfortunately, right? took off my new Nikes, and I said, here, they're size 10. I hope they work. He goes, I'm not taking your shoes. I go, you're taking my shoes. You, you need those shoes way more than I need these shoes. And he starts to cry, right? And I said, what's your story? And he said, and then the guy with the khaki pants jumps in, and he says, we're both veterans. We've been uh, stateside for some time now, and it's just been really hard. I said, okay. I said, well, can I share something with you? He's like, yeah. And I said, okay. So you see that building right there? He goes, yeah. I go, well, that's a church. I pastor that church. And um, I said, I want you to know. I said, I think, I think God wants you to know that he sees you. And God wants you to know that you're not forgotten and that you're cared for and that he loves you and that the kingdom is near and the kingdom is here. And he said, thank you. And I drove off. And as I drove off and turned on 75th Street, I start crying. Not because I gave my new shoes away. I'm crying because I got to be a part of a bigger thing that God was doing. A lot of us care about social justice. That's a term that we hear all the time, right? Social justice, social justice, social justice. And there's all these issues. But we've, we've got to move from a protest and posting to something much more. And at the heart of every social justice issue for me, 
is the attitude of generosity. Until we understand a biblical view, a biblical theology of generosity, the things that we care about a lot will be nothing more opinions and maybe even hypocrisy on our end until we begin to learn and step into it. And so the phrase that I want to give you, unpack for you a little bit this morning, and one that we're going to pour into over the next six weeks on Sunday mornings and at city groups and the sopling groups, is this phrase that we're calling whole life generosity. And I'm just going to kind of give you a little snippet this morning that whole life generosity doesn't exclude money. It simply includes everything else. Some of you get wigged out when a church starts talking about money. You're in luck. Today, I'm not going to talk about money, okay? But if you get wigged out about a church talking about money, you would have really struggled with Jesus. Because outside of him talking about the kingdom, he talked about what you do with the resources that he has given you more than any other thing. And I've got to make you get uncomfortable sometimes over these next six weeks because money and what, how you view it and how, what you choose to do with it is really causing many of you to spin your wheels spiritually and you can't get any grip for kingdom work because you have a bad, poor theology of what God says about you and your resources, whether you have a lot of it or you got very little. But did you know that there's more to generosity than just money? What if you begin to view your life as a whole life type of generosity where God had access to every part of your life? Think of it like this. What if God had access to your time, your dollars, your work, your home, your hobbies, your family, your skills? What if everything that you had responsibility over, everything that makes up you as a person, what if you begin to view those things as a resource that God had at his his disposal to be a blessing to the world in which we live? Think about that. It's not about, oh, this pastor's wanting more money or he wants me to go support this cause or he wants me to support... No, 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 no. What if you, in your skill sets, in your words, in your passions, and your, just your home and your family, what if everything was a resource that you said, God, if I've got it, you have access to it to use for your kingdom and for what you want to do. Here's the rub. If you and I don't get past the mess... If you don't get past the mess, you will miss the need. I'm so grateful on that day back in October of 2012 that God let me forget something. So I had to literally circle back because I got so distracted by a guy with messy pants that I made such a harsh judgment and a quick judgment on him and his lifestyle that I missed the fact that he had a friend with him who was in great need and giving him a pair of shoes meant enough for him to begin to cry at a stranger's door. Now, you're probably not going to encounter a guy today with messy pants. But you will encounter somebody that has opposing political views than you. You will encounter somebody that has different lifestyle choices of you. You will view people or see people or meet people who do things in their spare time that you don't think are wise or prudent. And if you're not careful, you will view their life as a mess and something that you stay at arm's length with. And because of that, you will miss a potential need that God wants to use you and everything that you have, own, and are to be a blessing in that situation. you got to get past the mess. And over the next six weeks, I'm going to help you do that. Over the next six weeks, we're going to give you uh, generosity prompts. One of them this week is how you might show kindness to the person who introduced you to Jesus. What would it be like for the person? Maybe you'll write a letter to me today after you hear today's message for some of you. But what if everyone in this room who has a relationship with Jesus were to pin out a letter this week to the person who first shared Christ with you and just simply said, thank you. My life is different now than where it once was because you were generous with your story, with your time towards me. You think that would make them smile or curse? 
Come on, if you got that letter, what would you do? Amen, right? This is one example that we're going to get into the messy things of life, and we're going to learn what it looks like to be completely generous in every way. I want to show you a quote from Chip Ingram. He wrote a book called The Genius of Generosity. He says this, Unless God begins to move in my heart, in my wallet, my schedule, and my to-do list, I'll never receive His best for me. God has to begin to move. Like My motivation to you and my hope that you do certain things will only get you so far. The deeper thing is that you begin to listen to the voice of God and you begin to hear Him when He's just trying to direct your life and give you opportunities and moments for you to be really generous in really specific ways. And I don't care if you're wealthy or if you're dirt poor, everybody gets to play in God's kingdom of generosity. Everybody gets to play. So if you're here and you're thinking, whew, I ain't got to do nothing because I ain't got nothing. No, 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 you got you. You got you. So let's look at this a little bit more. Romans 12. Let's start into kind of maybe the Bible study of this. Romans 12, uh, chapter, uh, verses 1 and 2. This is what we read. Paul says, therefore, and you can read chapter 11 to see why he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a what? Living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. How, how might you live in such a way that your body, your life, how you live is a living sacrifice to something bigger than what you are. That's why we're calling this series, We is Greater Than Me, right? But that's not what we were going to call it originally. I want to show you what we we're going to call this series originally. The original graphic looked like this. Instead of we, it was others are greater than me. And the reason that we switch from others to we is because others has that attitude or carries that idea that you're not yet with us. Like you haven't yet, you don't really belong yet. You're still out there. You still haven't figured out this Jesus thing. You haven't figured out this life thing. And so you're other. And here's the thing, guys, it is we. There are more things that connect us than divide us. Yes, you may work with people who do life differently, have different political views, different hobbies and habits that tend to separate us from them. But the truth is, is that we all live in the same city and we want our city to be better. The truth is, for those of us who are married, we want to have peace in our marriages and have successful marriages. For those of us with children, we want our kids to have good friends. I mean, there's not a, a mommy or daddy in the room who says this, Lord, please let my, my kids have really bad friends. And would you please surround them with students or with teenagers that really make bad decisions? Like, if you're praying that, stop. That's a horrible prayer. Horrible prayer. Let me do some quick parenting. We don't pray that way, right? We pray that God would surround our kids with, with wise people and good friends. That, that, that Their teachers would care for them and love them. Like, we, we have more things that connect us, that bring us together, than that simply divide us. Back to that scripture in Romans 12, 1. Offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. How might everything we have be a gift that God can use to be a blessing to this world? And then Paul wraps up with verse 2 by saying, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by what? I used this last week, right? It's another one, a good one to be a catalyst into this. Don't conform. In other words, like you got to break free from the day-to-day norm on how this world thinks about generosity, whole life generosity, and how you do what you do with your time and your stuff and your place. You have to break free from that and allow God to transform you by changing the way you think. Will you allow God to do that? Will you allow God the space and the freedom to simply say, 
I give you permission. When I was a student pastor, I used to do this all the time. I want to do this with you now. I would start every service and every camp message with this prayer. I can't pray it for you, by the way. I'm just going to lead you in it, all right? But you're the one that has to pray it. I'm going to tell you what it is so that you're not caught off with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. The prayer is simply this, and then we're going to pray it. God, if you choose to speak to me today, right? If you speak to me, I will do my best to be obedient to what you say. Is that a good deal? If God doesn't speak, you're off the hook, right? But if God does choose to speak to your life today through something that is said through scripture or story, and it begins to kind of grab your heart and your mind and your thinking, that you will do your very best to be obedient to the thing that God asks you. Is that fair? All right, now I'm going to pray that out loud. And as I do, all you have to say there in your mind and your heart is that, Lord, I agree with Matt. And I'm going to do that very thing. Will you join me? Nobody's going to know, by the way, if you say no, right? But if you're, why are you here? Then let's step into what God wants to do in our life and let's let him get so creative on how we view him and how we view his scriptures and how he might use us to change the world in which we live. So let's pray, all right? So Father, right now, we're a group of people coming from a lot of different places, a lot of different stories, a lot of different backgrounds. But right now, together, we pray this, that if you choose to speak to us on the personal level of just your Holy Spirit to our heart, that we will do our very best on a personal level to be as obedient as we know how to the thing that you're asking. And if you agree with me in that, we say, amen. Now, I probably should have told you this first, but here's the disclaimer. If you prayed that and God speaks and you don't move, don't come by me. Listen, man, when you ask God for that, I'm telling you, for some of you, God's going to blow your mind this morning on how he speaks to your heart and to your soul. Man, get ready. Expect Jesus to encourage you a great deal. By the way, here's how you know if it's Jesus or the enemy. The enemy points at your life and tells you how bad you are. Jesus says, follow me, and I'm going to show you how to do this. If you feel guilty, it ain't Jesus. If you feel encouraged, maybe a little scared, that might be him. But Jesus is not going to put you in the headlock and tell you how bad you are. That is not the ways of Jesus. Let's talk about love this morning. That's what we're going to talk about. Not even going to talk about money. We're going to talk about love. But I'm going to define love for us so that we have a good framework. Because how many of you guys said this week you had something good to eat this weekend? Maybe it's some kind of chocolate. You said, man, I love that chocolate pie. Something like that? Nobody had anything good? Yeah. Or um, maybe you went, I went to a play this weekend at the theater. And I'm like, man, I love this play. It was good. Maybe you saw something on TV and you're like, oh, I really love that. Or you looked at your kids and you said, oh, I love them. You may say, I love your kids this week. Or um, your spouse, if you haven't, you should. Um, Maybe you said, man, I really, I wish I loved my kid as much as I loved that chocolate cake. That would be fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. I'll be here all weekend. Um, <clears throat> one more service at five o'clock. Love, let me define love this way, three ways for us, okay? Today, in this context, love is a verb, love is action, love is movement. Today, when I talk about love, love is a verb, love is action, love is a movement. I'm not talking about how you feel. I'm not talking about an emotion. So when we talk about love, it causes you to move in some way, right? It causes you to respond, to react. And so I'm going to share a discipling tool with you this morning that we use at times in our discipling context, and it's called the four phases of love. So I'm going to walk you through four phases of love, and I'm asking you this, to identify which phase you're in, and are you willing to mature to the next phase, okay? 
which phase are you going to be in, and how might you mature to the next phase. All of these phases, you're either in or you've been in, okay? Everyone in the room, okay? Making a really kind of hard statement for everybody. Everyone in this room, you're either in a phase or you used to be in that phase, all right? So you ready? Let's start with phase one, the very first phase of love, and it's this. I love me. I love me. This is a self-love. I'm not saying that it's evil. Okay, you may be evil. I hope you're not. But it's selfish. Now, some of you go, well, being selfish is evil. Yeah, but I'm not, going that, I'm not being that hard in the thinking, okay? So when I say I love me this morning, I'm not talking about that you're an evil person that's sitting out doing evil things, trying to take advantage of everybody else around you. I'm not going that, I'm not going that extreme on it. I'm not saying you're evil. I'm saying that you're probably selfish, and, but here's what I want you to say. Matt, you're calling me selfish. This is not right. It's not fair. Chill out. Breathe. All right. Here we go. You do. Here, let me give you a theme. This will help you out. Here would be the theme of this phase. Your theme would be when I want to. You're selfish, but you give when I want to. Can you guys help me out now? Can you guys play along with this? I just, I'm going to say something and you say when I want to. All right. Like you'll play with your kids when I want to. You'll go to worship you might even sing along. You might serve. You might help. You might even put money in the plate. Everything that we do, and it's, that you, and it's not that you never do these things, you do. You do participate. You do give. You do love. You do parent. You do be a good spouse. But it's typically when you want to, which the opposite would be when you don't want to, you don't do it. Like when your kids say, Daddy, we come outside and play with me. It's beautiful outside. If you want to, you'll do that. But if you don't want to, you know what you're going to do? What you want to do. You don't mind helping the wife with the dishes or helping the husband with the chores as long as it's something that doesn't get and interfere with what you want to do. And listen, we're all here at times in our life. We all start here at this phase of love where you're really self-focused and self-centered. But I'm going to say something kind of challenging for some of you if you're, this is in, if you're in this phase. You can't stay here and follow Jesus. You can stay here. You can stay in phase one. But you, can't stay, you cannot stay in phase one and choose to follow Jesus. Here's why I want to show you in Scripture, right? Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus says this. If any of you want to become my follower, you must what? Come on, don't, don't, un, don't, don't disconnect with me because remember what we prayed? Lord, if you speak, I'm going to follow. Some of you are about to start a relationship with Jesus right now. I believe this. been praying for it all week. Because some of you are in this phase and you've settled into this phase and you just think this is what spirituality is and you've totally missed it. And the enemy is lying to you because it is impossible for you to follow Jesus and have a self-love where you're only going to do what you want to do when you want to do it. Jesus says... If anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself. Not he ought to get around to it. He must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. There is this moment of maturing in how you love and you say, it ain't about me. It's not about me anymore. We mature in this. Now, here's how we mature in it, okay? I'm going to give you some steps for you guys who might be in this phase. I'm not saying you're bad, but please catch this. Number one, there's three things. How do you might mature out of this? If you said, wow, that's me. Like, 
I do a lot of only what I want to do. Number one, define reality. Here's what I mean by define reality. You gotta quit living in this whoopy land where everything's okay. Like you gotta know the truth of what who you are as a person, like where you're missing it and where you're winning and where you're doing good and where you're doing bad. And this idea of you rationalize things or you sweep it under the rug. No, 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 no. Let's define reality. And simply it's this. Admit that you are in this phase if you are. And all you gotta do is to yourself, hey, that's me. As much as I wish it wasn't, Matt's talking to me. Second thing is this, after you define right, because this is not a six-month process, by the way. These three things that I'm giving you right now, man, we're moving through them right now this morning. Did you know in Scripture, every time Jesus makes the call, the request to someone to follow me, he's talking about it immediately right then? He doesn't say, hey, follow me. Uh, the next time I come around, go get your stuff in order. The next time around, I'm passing through, you come follow me. No, it's, it's in this moment of, hey, I'm, if, if God's messing with your heart, he's messing with your mind. He is asking you to change the way you think. He is trying to transform you in a new way to find a reality. Number two is this, to agree with Jesus. And to simply to agree with Jesus simply means that you agree with Jesus. That God, how you loved Jesus, how you uh, express love is different from how I express love. Do you think Jesus did things at times uh, that maybe, uh, well, he said this. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Jesus had this, this ability in this heart to follow the Father's prompting all the time. And it wasn't about what just he wanted to do, but it was what the Father was asking him to do. Read the Gospels about how he would get to a house and there were people would be lined up and he would stay up all night long healing everyone that came to them. He didn't just have a when I want to mentality. His whole life was about giving, giving it away. When you agree with Jesus, you simply believe that Jesus and how he loved is different from you and how you love. So what are you going to do about it? Number three is follow Jesus. Just follow Jesus. Like, man, I don't understand what you mean. It starts right here and it starts right here. See, at phase one, you are the priority. You are the focus. Here's where you begin to change the focus and you're starting to say, Jesus, what do you have for me? Jesus, what do you want me to do? Jesus, why am I going to do this? Like you begin to simply follow. You come to church on Sunday mornings and you learn. You join a city group. You get into a discipling context. You begin to read your Bible. You just do anything that you can to begin to follow so that you can take the next step because phase one will destroy your life. And phase one, I'm telling you, it's impossible for you to be ever any type of generosity. Just, you know that day when I came home, when I walked into the house, when I gave my shoes away? I kind of liked it, so I thought it was funny. I walked in, and Jen was in the kitchen cooking or burning. She was just something in the kitchen, and I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm funny. I'm funny. I know, right? <laughs> just keeping you, I'm keeping it light for you, right? I've been kind of heavy. And um, <laughs> I'm in so much trouble. Um, I walked in with my sock feet, and I said, hey, babe, I gave my shoes away today. She said, okay. <laughs> you know, how fun is that? That she didn't go, what do you mean? We just spent 80 bucks on those shoes. Are you out of your mind? Okay. How fun. How fun it is to not be in phase one where it's always about your stuff and not having it. When you begin to mature and follow Jesus, (coughs) your theme changes from when I want to to when I get to. 
And when you begin to follow Jesus, and notice I'm not talking about some intellectual understanding of spiritual stuff. I'm talking about when you follow Jesus, when you have a heart and a love for Jesus, you go into phase two. And phase two is where you start, you love God because, right? So this would be kind of the entry level maybe to following Jesus and loving God, but it has some caveats to it. You love God because blank. And if there's something that creates kind of uh, like you love God uh, for a specific reason, like some of you are here today because life has been hard. Guys, this is where you get kind of weird, by the way, because there's not like this single one answer because we're all a little different. We're all a little odd. Look at your neighbor and say you're a little different. Come on. Come on. I know you've been wanting to tell this person this. Here we love God for a variety of reasons. Like if you had a theme, the theme would be this. The theme would be, I am consistently inconsistent. In your spiritual walk, and again, again this, we're defining reality all morning because we're trying to identify what phase you're in so that you know how to grow up, right? Think about how the, the spiritual things that you do that, you, that are expressions of your faith. It could be prayer, prayer. Bible reading, going to church, going to classes, whatever. Like you can define them. You know, there's different expressions of faith. And if you ever find yourself saying, oh man, I haven't done that in a few days. Like sometimes you do it really faithfully and then sometimes you don't. You're consistently inconsistent. It's a great indicator that you're at this phase of love where you love God because. And so for some of you, when things are really good, when things are really, really good in your life, you... uh, you tend to say, God, I got it. And you get out of your faith expressions routines and rhythms because everything's good. The earth's not shaking under your feet anymore. And so you kind of go back to some past habits, past ways. I'm not talking evil stuff because you're walking with Jesus, right? You're following Jesus. I'm just saying that the things that you kind of lean into when things are bad, you kind of let off on because, well, things aren't so bad anymore. You're consistently inconsistent. But the first time that stuff starts shaking again, then you, you kind of beef up your spiritual uh, fervor for that spiritual expression, that faith expression, because you need everything to get calm again. And it's like you're on this really weird roller coaster where the roller coaster is all about God. You love God. You're not anti-God, but you're just, you love God sometimes more than you love him others. And there are some times when you think about God all the time, and there's sometimes when you don't think about God at all. And it just depends about what's going on in your life. For some of you, you really think about God when things are really, really bad. You just, man, that's where you are. No, we got to continue to grow up. I want to give you this. Uh, I think here is the solution. The solution to this is intentional discipleship. It's the quickest way to remain consistent in your spiritual walk. If you're here and you're at phase one and you kind of have are inconsistent in your uh, spiritual expressions, you need to be discipled. I don't care how old you are. You need somebody that's going to walk with you, right, in those moments in your spiritual walk where you're tempted to stop or quit or get slow in it, for somebody to say, no, we're going to continue to do this together. We've all been there, right? We've all been doing something, and the moment it got hard, we kind of backed off. Like fasting was a great idea when your belly was full, right? Prayer and, and, and committing to a time of prayer was great when you were really struggling. And now like you have, a, like you're, but when you had somebody beside you that said, hey, listen, are you going to complete the plan that you started? Like, are you going to finish that Bible study devotion? Like for some of you, you need to come to the city group for no other reason for all six weeks, just to prove to yourself that you can finish something that you start. Because some of you start stuff all the time and you never finish it. 
And you just need to go to a city group and you need to say, even if I don't want to go, or even if I gets bored, or even if Matt stinks and I don't like it, I'm going to finish it simply because I said I would. Man, wow. And you do enough of that, being discipled in the inconsistent areas of your life, you get to go to phase three. Phase three is this, I love God, period. I love God, period. And this, if this phase had a theme, it would be this, I am loyal. I am loyal. You guys heard of the General Colin Powell? Colin Powell tells this story. He's at the uh, Vietnam Memorial in D.C., surrounded by guys who had their lives been greatly impacted because of that war. Loss of arms, legs, crutches, wheelchairs, a lot of different issues. And people, he said, always go, what do you, ta- what do you say to them when you talk to them? What do you say? What do you ask them? What do you tell them? And he says, most people think that I say, um, man, I'm sorry that your leg got blown off, or I'm sorry that this happened, or I'm sorry that that happened. He said, I never say anything like that whatsoever. He says, I look at these men and these women who served in our country, served our country, and I look at them dead in the eye, and I say this, are you a good soldier? Were you a good soldier? And he says, and when I ask them that question, they kind of get into that a tin hut stage, right? And they say, yes, sir, I was loyal. I was a good soldier. That's my question to us here in this phase. In this phase, you are a good, loyal soldier for the kingdom of God. Like you love God when things are going great in your life or when things are going bad. You don't change. There is no inconsistencies in your love for God. You simply love him, period. Now, for many of us, we would think, oh, that's the last phase. That's got to be the top one. There's actually one more. In phase three is great because phase three, there's peace. See, phase two, you don't have peace yet. Because you haven't, you haven't figured out the flow, the rhythms of Jesus. And so sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. And so sometimes your money's good, sometimes it's not. Sometimes your marriage is good, sometimes it's not. But at phase three, when you just simply love God, period, what you begin to notice <coughs> is that you have peace in your life. And when your head hits your pillow at night, you're not worried that he or she finds out. And you're not worried about why your employer... I mean, you're, just, you're in a different place because you're God-honoring in everything that you do. You've really matured. As a follower of Jesus, you're a good soldier for the kingdom, but it's not the top. Some of this, or this phase four might surprise you. It's definitely going to stretch you. Phase four is this, I love others for God's sake. I love others for God's sake. Here is when the mess doesn't captivate you. Here is when the political views or the habits that are there, they don't become the thing, and you're able to see past it, and you begin to say, Lord, how might I love them for your sake? How might I engage that knucklehead at work? How might I engage that wandering child? How might I engage my frustrated spouse? How might I engage fill in the blank for your sake? How might I love others for you? The phase theme here would be this, I am the blessing. This is where whole life generosity begins to play a deeper role, where everything about you, you are the blessing. You are the way that God, you are the resource, you are the tool that God is going to use to really break through into someone's life. It's going to be you that's going to give the shoes. It's going to be you, not a church not an organization. It's going to be you who helps with the rent. It's going to be you who helps with the utilities. It's going to be you that's going to do these types of things. You get to be the blessing. There in your insert, Henry Nguyen, he says this, giving away our lives for others is the greatest of all human arts. 
This will gain us our lives. And then also, St. Basil the Great, I love this one. Boy, this one gets really challenging. The bread which you hold back belongs to the hungry. The coat which you guard in your locked storage chest belongs to the naked. The footwear molding in your closet belongs to those without shoes. The silver that you keep hidden in a safe place belongs to the one in need. God has resourced you right now, whether you think you have a little or you have a lot. God has resourced you perfectly and in just in time to be a blessing in the world in which you live. And the question is, will you love others for God's sake? And man, that's where we're going to be pressing for the next several weeks. Is how do we see past the mess? How do we see the need? And then how do we say, Lord, how in the world are you going to use me? to make a difference right there. The band's going to do this song. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's one that you don't have to stand and worship to. It's just a song for us to maybe sing over you. It's an old Michael W. Smith song. For you to kind of sit back and process that prayer. Like, has God said something to your spirit tonight? today? Has he whispered something to your soul that he's asking you to step into? Like, for some of you, it's simply moving from phase one. And it's becoming a part of the kingdom. It's becoming a part of the story and seeing that it's not about me. It's about God. And even beyond that, it's about how God wants to use me to impact other people. Here's my question to you, then we're going to listen. What phase are you in? And are you willing to mature out of it? What phase are you in? And are you willing to mature from it? Father, these next moments are yours as we process and think. May you be honored through this song and through the reflection. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.